What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dishes and Dimes podcast. I'm your host, Christian Oblena, and today is Friday, May 7, 2021. We are about eight or nine days, or we have eight or nine days left in the regular season, and I couldn't be more excited for the play-in tournament and the playoffs because, I mean, the last, what, maybe couple weeks it's just been it's been kind of a grind in terms of you know what are we preparing for towards the end of the season it seems like the only thing that's um that we're pretty much worried about is a play-in tournament um because the seedings i know that you know the nets and the and the sixes are jockeying for position in, in in the top of the east and then in the top of the west we have you know, the Jazz and the Suns kind of battling it out for the number one seed. But, you know, it just seems like getting the one seed isn't super, super important. Unlike other years, obviously, with home court and having a full capacity crowd uh, in, in a playoff series in a game seven, you know, those mean much more other than, you know, even though most teams have fans back um, at a lesser capacity, I mean, I still think that the number one seed isn't as valuable as it has been the last couple of years. So, or I mean, in the history of the NBA. So I, I don't know. I, I think we're just kind of gearing up for this plan tournament because teams are still jockeying for position there. And I'm just super excited for everything to unfold in this in this last week. Like the Warriors and the Grizzlies, who are fighting for the eight the eight spot right now in the West, they play each other on the last day of the season, and that can literally determine whether they have to stay at the ninth seed or they they get that eighth seed where you get two chances to get into the playoffs. So it's a, uh, I think the playing term is a great idea that that that's. It's going to be one of the things I talk about later on in this episode. Um, today's kind of a shorter episode, just closing the final week of the NBA season. I just wanted to talk about five things or five, I guess, five takeaways uh, from this really weird NBA season. So let's just get on to it. NBA news for this week, uh, the Pacers. The Pacers got issues. If you haven't seen already, Greg Foster and... Bidatse, Bidatse, I think that's how you say his name. They kind of got into it in a game, I think two days ago, where Foster, the assistant coach for the Pacers, was like yelling at the dude. And then the Bidatse came back on the offensive end and hit like an open three. And then he came back down on the defensive end where they're right next to the Pacers bench. And he says like, sit the F down to the assistant coach. And then they just kind of got into it in the next timeout. Um, and this is just like a, a microcosm of just what the Pacers are going through this season. They started off pretty well. And now there's reports about Nate Bjorkren, the head coach, probably getting fired. A lot of different stories. TJ Warren reportedly actually requested a trade at the beginning of the season when the new coach was announced. It just seems like your classic situation of just players and coach just not meshing and it seems like that's going to be a pretty big theme um, i've been listening to athletic alchemy 
which is another really good podcast. If you guys uh, are looking for more NBA content, it's daily NBA content. It's it's a podcast called The Hezzy. But what he was talking about today was pretty much like a lot of these AAU kids or a lot of these young stars getting into the league who played AAU they're they're always used to getting the star treatment they're always used to getting you know whatever they want from a team and that coaching style like a player's coach like a steve nash has shown this year or um i wouldn't even say steve kerr because he he's pretty stubborn on his system but the these coaches that kind of allow the players to have a lot of leeway uh seems like the most popular coaches obviously like Ty Lu uh that that's another kind of big name in terms of a, a really player friendly coach and it just seems like a lot of these guys are going to want coaches like that they're not going to want a coach that's going to that's going to demand a lot um it's different when it's Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks and Randall Randall kind of Julius Randall kind of changed his NBA NBA trajectory just from being on the Knicks and kind of accepting this role, accepting uh, his stardom on this type of team, this tough, gritty team that represents New York. Um, but that's a different topic. Uh, yeah, it seems like the head coach of the Pacers is just going to be uh, fired. It seems like a place that's going to blow it up and probably just keep Sabonis and build around him. I've seen a lot of different trade rumors uh, with like Brogdon and they can let go of Miles Turner, who has been on the trade block for like a year and a half now. So I look at the Pacers as a team that really wants to blow it up this offseason. Uh, LeBron James returning next week after leaving the Toronto game earlier this week. AD actually left last night with back spasms. And I saw a tweet. I, I follow this doctor on Twitter who's like, who's really into sports, Bay Area sports specifically, but he tweets about different injuries in the NBA and in the NFL. And he talks about how back spasms uh, are when the muscle contracts painfully due to an injury. And then when you kind of relate that back to AD, he's always been very injury prone and he's obviously coming back from like the, the Achilles or the, the, the hamstring thing that he had all throughout this season. They don't occur randomly. A muscle injury around the spine is the usual cause, but sometimes indicates an issue with a disc or nerve. Doesn't sound uh, good at all. The fact that AD played like, I think he only played like nine minutes last night. Um, or was it him or was it someone else? But basically he left during the game and didn't come back and back spasms kind of points to a bigger issue at hand. And then now they have LeBron returning next week. Who knows if he's 100%. He already said that he's never going to be 100% ever, which is a very classic LeBron James line, but not looking great for the Lakers at this moment. Harden making a regular season return. They kind of need him to return if they have any title aspirations, just in terms of they need to gain that chemistry back. And I'm not worried about Kyrie, KD, and Harden when they're healthy. A lot of the issues are kind of based on the rest of the roster, but they kind of just need him to be back just to kind of get this whole team in, in rhythm. They've played with one or two guys most of the season, and it just doesn't work well when you're entering a playoff series. I mean, 
they'll probably enter the series with an easy matchup. Let's say it's Boston or or Charlotte. I think that's who is supposed to be in the seventh spot. Charlotte without Gordon Hayward and then the Celtics team that's kind of just been on and off this whole entire season. So maybe you don't need them all fully healthy and, and clicking at all cylinders for that first round matchup, but you kind of just need him for the next round because you're going to be playing, you know, the the winner of the Bucks and uh, whoever the sixth seed is, the Heat. So, I mean, those two teams, like you're going to need all three guys working together and at 100, at 100%. So another thing to look out for, um, both Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson are out indefinitely. Ingram with an ankle and Zion with a fractured finger, which I think they both went through that earlier this week in the back-to-back against the Warriors. And if they're out indefinitely and the play-in tournament is about in less than two weeks, you know, how would they kind of look fighting? I mean, I don't know if they could even fight for the 10 seed anymore, even though they're behind the Spurs who have been losing a lot of games recently. Can can the Pelicans win games without these two uh, in order to grab that last 10 spot? So who knows, right? Because they, I mean, they need both of those guys, whether it's fighting for a play-in, ter- play-in spot, which is what they're doing right now. I think they're about a game and a half back from the Spurs with five or so games left, four or five games left. And I don't know if they could catch up. I mean, if the Spurs keep losing, then it helps, but they need to win games. And they're facing the Sixers right now uh, without Ingram or Zion, so that's probably a loss. And it's just not looking good. For a team that has been underachieving already this season, it it just sucks to like end the season like that. Um, but yeah, so let's get into it. Five takeaways that I've seen from this season. Some of them are kind of trendy in terms of it's been happening the past season or two, but a lot of really weird takeaways from a really strange NBA season. Uh, first and foremost, number one, let's hope we never have something like COVID ever again. <laughs> I mean, that's self-explanatory. We don't, we never want a global pandemic to, to, to affect us ever again, obviously. Um, we just hope that they can, or at least figure out a distinct plan for the league or for sports in general, obviously, if it continues over to the next season, like for instance, if there's just a, a rapid craze of COVID again over the summer, and then they have to go again into this season with this COVID protocols, let's hope that the NBA can kind of figure out better rules and regulations because this this season was just a mess for lack of a better term there was re- weird rules and regulations they implemented things in uh, like a month or two into the season remember that thing with like Beal and Tatum where they like dapped each other up at the end of the game and then like the day after they said that they can't do that anymore and, and that's unsafe and they they made it stricter for guys to wear masks on the bench, even though you're seeing a lot of guys with masks off on the bench. And, you know, with teams 
getting hit by COVID. Obviously, the Wizards had that really bad period. The Heat, I think the Mavs were pretty bad at one point. Even the the Warriors, they they lost a couple guys. And speaking of the Warriors, Damian Lee was just reported he contracted the virus. So he was he's been in COVID protocols the last 14 days. And in a little interview, he's he said that he actually got the virus, even though he was vaccinated in March. And apparently he's been feeling some really, really bad symptoms the last two weeks. So a little reminder uh, for the NBA and just everyone in general that even though you're vaccinated, you still should be you still should be being safe. You should still be being safe. Wow. You should still, you know, try to be safe. You know, still wear a mask and all that stuff. Distance, everything like that. But kind of scary. Let's just hope that something like this never happens again where the uh, the NBA kind of has to create their own rules. Um, condensed 72-game schedule. Should it have been 60? Probably. Uh, that's also an argument for ratings and just health in general. Less games means more meaningful regular season games. Less games mean more stars don't have to rest on back-to-backs and everything like that. And then the overarching thing for for this kind of takeaway is just like casuals, everything around me is cream. Like the, the league obviously put these rules kind of as they went because they want to make the most money as possible. They lost so much revenue last year. They've lost a pretty good amount of revenue this year uh, with fans not in the building until like the last two months or something. And I mean, that's just how it's going to be. It's a business. The NBA is a business. So yeah. Next takeaway. Number two. Number two, my Lord. Number two takeaway from the season is that this 2020 draft class was severely underrated yes coming into this season what do we all hear about the draft class oh it's weak it's only a top it's only a three-person draft there's nothing after the top three picks we don't know where, where anyone's going which is which is true no one knew where anyone was going you know after pick three even at even at the number one spot Actually, for for the whole draft, no one knew where anyone was going. It was a debate whether is it Lamelo not going number one? Is it Wiseman going number one? And and then you know Edwards, who all three of the guys Edwards, Wiseman, Ball, both had elite traits, but a lot of questions and negatives that people didn't think would translate in them to the NBA. Right, Anthony Edwards. Is he a number one guy? Is he just a scorer? Is he just this or that? He's proven that, I mean, geez, like watching his, what, 40, his career high, he just had it um, a couple of nights ago. And watching that was, I mean, every time I watch him, it's like his athletic ability or if he could just figure it out, right? Everything about him physically and just ability wise, he has it. It's just a matter of putting it together. Uh, Wiseman is probably the most disappointing uh, out of these top picks just in terms of how raw he is. And it's not like, I mean, that's more of the Warriors. I think the Wiseman stuff is more 
on the Warriors organization than it is on Wiseman because his ceiling is still pretty high. And then LaMelo was the biggest surprise, right? No one knew that he was going to be this impactful or this good and how his game has translated really honestly, like it's translated seamlessly into, into the league and how he kind of revitalized this Hornets team that, you know, if he didn't work out and they were just overpaying Gordon Hayward for what he was and, you know, Terry Rozier has been really good, but LaMelo having hit, having him bring the excitement back into Charlotte and just, you know, another ball brother and the hype is actually real for LaMelo. I think that's great. Patrick Williams, really good shades of Kawhi Leonard. If he could figure it out, I think he's in a unique spot in Chicago, but he's something. Isaac Okoro just got his career high. Um, Really good defensively. If he could be a legit offensive guy in the next couple of years, maybe he gets a corner three. Maybe he's a, he's like a, a nice little slasher for them. You know, he's something. And then you go down the line, right? Okongwu had a slow start, couldn't play. Now he's, he's giving, you know, really good minutes for the Hawks right now. Killian Hayes missed some time from injury, but he's shown some flashes. Obi Toppin can't crack the uh, rotation a lot in New York, but, you know, Tibbs never plays rookies. Denny Avdia, tough injury, but he was looking really good. Then you go down the line, right? Devin Fassell, really good rotation guy for the Spurs. Tyrese Halliburton, top three rookie production-wise, was really good. Shouldn't have dropped to 12. Sacramento is severely lucky they got Halliburton where they did. Kira Lewis, a rotation piece for the Pelicans. And he got online again. Neesmith, Cole Anthony hit two crazy game winners this year for the Magic. He's something. He could be a microwave scorer. Isaiah Stewart, really good for, for the Pistons. Uh, Pokushevsky has been a really unique surprise. Sadiq Bey is a really good uh, rotation guy for the Pistons. Precious Ochua fit really nicely with the Heat. Tyrese Maxey. Decent minutes with the Sixers. Uh, RJ Hampton uh, has been showing some nice flashes in Orlando. Emmanuel Kickley has been a really good third guard for the Knicks. Peyton Pritchard has been pretty good. Uh, Malachi Flynn has shown really good flashes with, with Toronto. Desmond Bain, at, that's the last pick of the first round. So I've named pretty much 25 guys, uh, or I, I see like 25 guys that have made an impact uh, on their team this year. Uh, second round, not too many guys. You have Theo Maladon is probably the, the best. Xavier Tillman is really good for the Grizzlies, but you get, you get my point, right? We entered the draft thinking that it was pretty trash, like shades of 2013 draft with Anthony Bennett, Victor Oladipo, and who was the third pick? Was it Len? Third pick. It was Len or someone else. I forget. But that pick was, that draft was seen to be pretty bad. We did get Giannis from that draft, but you get what I'm saying. This draft was completely underrated. They have years and years to grow. 
Like we can see Edwards being a superstar in this league. Lamelo's probably going to be a superstar. If Patrick Williams grows more, he could be a star in this league. Um, and a lot of them could end up just being really good role players. So I like this draft. I really like, I'd really do. Number three, number three takeaway, the center position resurgence. Jokic is going to win MVP and Bede is up there in the MVP candidate. Julius Randle is MVP candidate. Christian Wood is a rising star in, in Houston. Sabonis, also another all-star season. These bigs are, they're still important in this league. And the Lakers showed it last, last year uh, when the game was going smaller and smaller. It, it still proves that the center position is really important. And when you have a center that can do various things on offense and defense, then you're just in a much better place. If Cat can be a two-way you know, star in Minnesota that elevates their ceiling. And I mean, the only teams that don't have a, a really good big man maybe is the Nets. I mean, it's still to be proven if they're, if they need an, a solid inside presence. Cause right now they really don't like, they're just rotating DeAndre Jordan, Nick Claxton, even KD played the five. Uh, last night so that is a team that kind of will show if it matters or not but then again they have Kyrie Harden and KD so it's a give or take but I think the center resurgence is has been great we obviously haven't seen a big man like a true center win the MVP in in years not since I believe Shaq or Duncan um but they Duncan was a power forward at the time. Garnett was a power forward at the time. So we haven't seen a, a big win it since then. It's always been wings or guards. And so kind of seeing Jokic win it, which which I think he's one of the most exciting players in this league. What Nick Wright said uh two nights ago about how talking about the Nikola how talking about Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets doesn't bring in ratings, I thought that was BS. He he should be talked about more, and, and and it sucks that a national media guy feels that way. And obviously, no one really cares about what Nick Wright thinks. I don't, or or for a lot of these national media guys. But it, it just sucks when the NFL they have media members talk up so many guys in the league, even if they play for really bad teams, even if they play for small market teams, right? But in the NBA, it's just certain stars get certain treatment and the rest are kind of just left in the dust. And that's kind of what sucks. But the center position, it's in really good hands. And then if we see Evan Mobley uh, in, in this year's draft, if he could be something, I mean, it's just going to be really good for the league to have a center position because no one was, you know, people started to not care about the center position um, in the last like five or six years. Number four. Number four is really big to me. The efficiency and volume of the league is at an all time high. It's hard to really see it dropping. I read a. A. An article from The Athletic and, you know, they mentioned the league. 
set is setting all-time best marks for free throw percentage, three-point percentage, and by size zone margin, effective field goal percentage, um, 53.8% up from this previous high watermark of 52.9, um, which was set last season. So it's been a trend, right? It's been a trend. Offensive offensive numbers are are insane. We see a lot of guys averaging 20 to 25 points. Like if you even see, like, did anyone know that Colin Sexton is averaging like 24 points per game? I don't think Colin Sexton is even in the top, I don't know, 15 guys that we consider to be really good scorers. And yet he's scoring 24 points per game, which is insane to me. Um, shooting has been proven to be the most important skill to have the last couple of years. Does the like this kind of puts out the question of how the league is going? Is it good for the league for ratings? Do do does the NBA think that you know watching a shooting contest in the regular season game is the most exciting form of basketball? Every time I look at a box score, if if I don't catch a game and I try to just look at the box score. And the first thing I talk about, oh, like, oh, this team won. Like, I wonder why. Let, let's look at the box score. Even though I don't like to use completely the box score to box score to determine, you know, why a game turned out the way it was. But the first thing I look at is the team's three point percentage of the game, and and ninety nine percent of the time, it's because a team made fifteen threes compared to nine, or they made twenty threes compared to twelve, right? when when the when the disparity from the three-point line is that significant even if it's just two or three more threes let's say it's 17 to 14 threes more often than not the team that made 17 threes wins the game and and it's kind of that simple it's become a math equation and we all know that it's been a trend the last couple years right but it kind of begs the question does the nba need to incorporate more defensive rules it's hard because the shooting rules and the landing space and and things like that and like kind of like the the way guys can manipulate the whistles and you know initiate contact it's hard because the shooting rules and the fouls that that gets called it protects the shooter uh, mostly to avoid injuries right guys landing on each other's foots coming down from a jump shot but then the counter argument to that is that this season of what we've seen is that guys will get injured no matter what. Like guys, you saw LeBron land on a on on someone's foot and he missed like a month or so of basketball and he's still not right. Um AD has been falling on the floor for his whole career and he's always injured. Uh Steph Curry injured his butt by falling on on metal stairs in Houston. Like a lot of these guys are just going to be are just going to end up injured not because of shooting rules but because of just freak accidents and and you know legs being tangled up and tripping on each other and and landing on people's foot like Trey Young missed a couple games on a really bad ankle injury because of landing on a guy's foot like I don't know if that's just the theme of this year but I think that the NBA should think about getting more defensive rules in here. I mean, they changed it way back when with Shaq and to make the league more exciting, but is it too much now? Uh, you know, it, it should be a topic of conversation in the next couple of years for sure. If it just gets really, really bad and teams are just like 40% shooting from three isn't really that impressive anymore. 
you have guys shooting in the mid 40s, high 40s. And that's more of where the league is trending because you have guys like Dorian Finney-Smith who have the green light to shoot six threes a game. And you have um, Andrew Wiggins, who isn't a great three-point shooter, but I mean, he's improved, but you know, a lot of these guys are just having more green lights and guys that we really don't think are shooters are guys that are making like 39% of their threes, 40% of their threes. So it, is it an issue? I don't know. I think it is an issue. If you really want to bring back the meaningful regular season games, uh, meaningful defensive possessions, because at this point, defensive numbers really don't matter. If if I, I looked at the NBA advanced stats and the Warriors are fifth in defensive rating, they're above the Suns, they're above the Bucks, they're above the Heat, above the Clippers, above the Grizzlies, yet they're 20th in opponents' points per game, which means they they let their opponents score a ton of points, but they're fifth in defensive rating. So it's like the fifth in defensive rating doesn't even mean anything at this point, unless you are historically or just elite defensively from the eye test, it doesn't even matter. And teams are just still scoring 130, 140 every night just because of how much they could shoot and how, how the rules are tied to, you know, the league just, letting so many guys shoot and the only way to change that is by changing rules uh you're not going to tell guys to stop shooting threes like that's that's just not how it's going to happen you're gonna have to implement some rules or some changes to foul calls or whatnot to make people stop shooting as much threes I, i don't know i don't know how you do it so number five and lastly is about the playing tournament the playing tourney should stay, but under some tweaks and rule changes. I think a huge takeaway from, especially from right now, we are eight or nine days left in the regular season. And it's really exciting because the playing tournament is only, you know, the teams in the playing tournament are separated by less than two games, a half game, like less three or less games. Maybe that's just because of this season and the fact that a lot of these teams are kind of more jumbled together because of the condensed schedule and everything that's going on with COVID and things like that. But I think it should stay. I actually discussed this topic with two of my friends um, that we talk about basketball pretty much every day. And I'm sure the league will be able to tweak some of the rules. Like we, we thought about eliminating the tourney for the seven or eight seed if if they're just way higher in the standings by the end of the season if they're dramatically better like if they're just mathematically let's say uh who, who's in the seventh spot i think the i think the blazers are tied with the lakers for the seventh spot uh six seven spot and i think they're only three and a half games back or three and a half game, or above the warriors in the eighth spot if they were at like the five game five and a half um like mathematically couldn't do it i don't think they should have a playing tournament between the seven and eight seed that just doesn't make any more sense right if they can't catch them in the standings then they should not have a, a tournament but because they're kind of still in the realm in the range 
even though three and a half games is severely hard to catch up to, especially with like four, five games left. But you, you get what I'm saying, right? There's definitely a counter argument for for that. It's like, oh, all you got to do is win a game and you're in. But, you know, there's a principle that the NBA should uphold in the competitive balance, meaning especially if the Warriors were up like five games ahead of Memphis right now at the nine spot, like why would they have to compete again? But then again, it goes back to the NBA wants to make money. They want to play in tournament for ratings. They want it for excitement of the league and, you know, more games means more revenue. So really depends on how they look at it. I think they can put some rules into it. Like even last year, the Mavs were seventh spot, were in the seventh spot and they didn't have to do anything because they're just competing for the eighth spot. So yeah, I mean, that's about it. Those are my five takeaways from this season. Some of them have been trending, but a lot of it has, has to do with COVID. A lot of it has to do with um, how this season has been playing out in terms of condensed schedule and everything like that. So those are my thoughts. Next week, I have an episode with Raven. We're going to be doing all NBA teams and NBA awards, which is going to be really exciting. So uh, that will be coming out probably Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please, please, please share with your homies, share with your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Obeyoblena. And until next time, peace.